Welcome to the Diverse Minds Podcast, where we give you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to be a mentally healthy and inclusive leader. Each week, you'll hear about a variety of topics linked to mental health, well-being, and diversity that will enhance both your professional practice and personal well-being. Welcome to episode seven of the Diverse Minds Podcast. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking about celebrating Black History Month in the workplace in a meaningful way. And I'm going to share with you the tips, tricks, techniques and barriers that I've jumped over to make Black History Month possible in the workplace. Having organised numerous Black History Month events in previous roles and workplaces, I want to share my insights and experience with you. It wasn't always an easy or a smooth journey, so I'm going to share both the pitfalls and the highs. For a number of reasons, people seem to find Black History Month tricky. Personally, I don't. But there seem to be two schools of thought. One, that it causes divide by drawing attention to Black History specifically, and the other that it should be more than a month. I do agree with the latter point, that Black History Month should be 365 days of the year, as there are so many forgotten stories and achievements from the Black community that have been whitewashed by history. However, Black History Month is a way of raising awareness and having discussions about the topic. At least it's a start, and I think it's better to have it than to not have it. I disagree with the point that it draws attention and causes division and separation. Unfortunately, I've heard this kickback many, many times, um, and I really don't agree with it. And I've also heard the argument that there is only one race, the human race, which of course I do agree with, but unfortunately, given historical events and things that have happened over centuries, we can't simply forget the achievements nor the atrocities that have happened. Lonnie Bunch sums it up for me in the article that he wrote for the 90th commemoration of Black History Month, Global Black History Month. He says, Above all else, the activities of Black History Month should be more than a celebration of one community. In the UK, it should be about the history of Black Britons as a lens to understand what it means to be British. After all, the black community has shaped and informed aspects of identity that touch the entirety of its citizenry. In essence, the month is both an examination of a people's journey and a nation's story. Black History Month provides a platform to educate people about black history and culture. It highlights inequities that still persist, celebrates those who have been pioneers, and enables engaged dialogue about how we can all do better. And don't forget, as well as the gender pay gap we currently have in this country, there is also an ethnicity pay gap. The 2017 report, Race in the Workplace, set out a range of actions for businesses and governments to take forward to improve employment and career prospects for those from ethnic minority backgrounds. According to the report, equal participation and progression across ethnicities could be worth an additional £24 billion to the economy per year. As with most things I speak about, there is a moral case, but there's also always a business case. And I often see people embrace or tie themselves up in knots about whether to celebrate Black History Month and what to do. So here's a little bit about my journey in terms of Black History Month and organising events and getting people on board. So it all started at my second role at the University of Oxford as the first person responsible for race, religion and belief. And it was part of my role and what I was asked to do in 2008. Now, of course, I had to be very careful about this because I'm actually Asian and not technically black. But if we think about black in the political sense with a very big capital B, I absolutely identify with that identity. But I had to be very careful not to be seen or to push my own agenda, whatever that was. I, I mean, personally, I don't think I had an agenda. My agenda was to raise awareness about this 
important issue and I think Oxford's a very Oxford University is a very difficult environment um, and the black voice my experience was but black voices aren't heard so I started from scratch I didn't have a team and I had to do this all on my own and one of the first things I did was to approach the local community to get buy-in because of course black history months in the community had been going for many many years and there's a very long established and very powerful black community in Oxford who I know would be full of ideas and if I if I if I engaged with them and talked to them I could get their support um so that's what I did um, and as a result of that, so I visited community centres. And again, it wasn't easy. I don't think it was necessarily that people fell in love with me and said, oh, yes, we want to come to Oxford and be part of your events because they'd clearly had their fingers burnt before and things hadn't been particularly easy. And actually, anyone who knows the University of Oxford particularly well knows that generally they're not interested in the local community. But I chipped away and I did get buy-in. And I do remember distinctly at one of the first events I did in at the Natural History Museum in Oxford, uh, a long-standing community member came in and she looked absolutely horrified. And she said, what is this that you've done? There's no signage. How am I expected to climb the stairs? And she was incredibly angry. It was quite difficult to hear, but her feedback was valid. Um, and then to build on that and to try and to email her and to say, thank you for coming and thank you for your feedback. And next time I'll do it better. And these are also people who are elders, so they have a lot of experience. And to not acknowledge that, I think, would have meant that that was a very silly mistake. The other thing I managed to do was to get venues for free. So it might be that you're in an organisation where that's not an issue, or it might be that it's a, a large, large company where um, you might be under one umbrella of an organisation, but different bits might charge or cross-charge. Um, and my my budget for the whole year during this job was a grand total of £1,500. So again, I had to be incredibly resourceful and I didn't always have the resources that I required. So that's another point. If you are going to do this or decision makers who decide that Black History Month is going to be celebrated, you absolutely need to commit resource to this and encourage people to commit resource to this because otherwise, unfortunately, it is just lip service and it comes across as tokenism and people know when something's done cheaply. Um, so there's being resourceful and then there's something being done cheaply and you don't want it to come across as the latter. The other thing to think about was branding. So um, there is a lot of uh, branding out there. Again, you've got to be very sensitive about copyright. And if you are going to use particular images, please check with um, people or use copyright free resources. But I strongly suggest getting a good graphic designer on board or someone who's good at graphic design um, has a flair for this if you don't have a specific team in-house who can help you with this. Um, and I was very lucky because at the time there was someone called Toby Whiting who was a real ally and who helped me design um, an image and actually what he did was he took the Union Jack and changed the colours to red, yellow and gold. Um, and that imagery is still used today. And Toby Whiting is a graphic designer in another organisation. And I still can't thank him enough for the time he took with me, um, which I didn't expect. And the storyboarding that he did to come up with a really strong branding. I think the other thing to say is that because it was the University of Oxford, um, people, you know, whether we like it or not, it has a lot of kudos and it had a lot of pull. So it meant that I could create a real buzz around this event. And I had people like Gus Casely Hayford coming to deliver a talk. 
Um, I had screening of Burning an Illusion by Menelik Shabazz. Um, I was able to organise a community takeover at one of the colleges, Kellogg College for Adult Continuing Education. Uh, Mia Morris, one of the founders of Black History Month 365 and of the Wellplace Consultancy, she was on a panel discussion for me. Um, and I also had an American artist, Sandy Russell, a jazz singer and who's written many books, but one of the books she's written is Render Me My Song, um, about the African journey, um, African-American history around slavery and arts and culture. Um, and I could run a whole jazz night. And I got venues for free from colleges um, and also academics on board so this is another thing so maybe you're not in a university setting but who could you find that has an interest so this could be your staff network groups and remember at this point in time there was no staff network group so I had to do and draw everything draw my own knowledge and community groups and people that I knew some of whom obviously were academics researching black history in America UK pan-Africanism and they all became my allies but it might be that you have other people who are interested, people who see themselves as diversity champions, who could support you or who could support the general ethos of what you're trying to do. And there'll also be naysayers. So this point around there is only one race, the human race. Um, and there are lots of naysayers, people saying, um, you know, this is a waste of university funds. Why are we doing this? Um, what about White History Month? Yes, I had that one. Um, you know, a classic, a classic response. And you'd expect more from an educational establishment. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. And I kind of turned these people around. Did I turn them around? I think I managed to tolerate them by letting them rant, by letting them say what they needed to say, um, and also challenging them around good practice and other universities that celebrated Black History Month and celebrate Black History Month. Um, I think also the times where you have to know your battles and not to pick too much, but put your point across. And if someone wants to keep coming back, because we know with many people, they have to be right to just leave it. Because if you walk away, if you step away from it, that discussion can't carry on. And as I organized events for three or four years, as these sort of progressed, um, I was able to build um, build a committee of people who were interested and who wanted to support. So it's often a drip, drip, drip effect. And it also provides a safe space for people to talk and discuss amongst themselves and actually build allies across big organizations. However, when I moved to Imperial College London, I had to use a completely different approach. So again, I'm in the middle of in the heart of London, uh, incredibly mixed community uh, of students and staff. Uh, people are very well aware of Black History Month, so I wasn't starting from zero. Many people commute from large, you know, long distances, so they might attend events in their local areas. So whereas at the University of Oxford, I could do evening events, I could do quite long events, I could do long lunches. Um, at Imperial, that just wasn't going to work. So maybe you've done something um, in one organisation and it's worked really well. And you're then you've moved to another organisation or you've moved to another part of an organisation and you think, well, what I did didn't what I did then isn't really working now. So think about the kind of different things that you might need to do. So obviously people in London far more switched on, much bigger black community of staff, weren't as isolated as we were at the University of Oxford, people commuting long distances. So we had to rethink how we did things. And what worked much better there were short lunchtime talks. Um, and that was possible because people could just jump on a tube, turn up at Imperial, give a talk, um, have some sandwiches and go back to their workplace. Um, lectures sometimes worked well after hours. Film screenings, it was a mix. You tend to get more students and staff, understandably. Um, and also potluck lunches. So people bringing their own lunch and having a discussion around what is black history or picking a theme. And we also managed to get the central um, staff canteen 
um, servery, if you like, to put on a menu. So serving, um, you know, Caribbean foods, African foods, having branded flyers, and again, just raising awareness about what was going on. So different organisations will need a different approach. And then in my most recent, uh, if you like, interim nine to five job, I had unusual kickback that I'd not experienced before. And this was a white communications officer telling me that Asian people shouldn't be involved in Black History Month, which I'd never had before. (laughs) And often there's ignorance. Now, if a group of black staff had come to me um, and said this, I would completely understand. And if they'd felt marginalised and if they'd felt that often Black History Month events were taken over by a particular group in a particular way, I would absolutely have taken that feedback on board or if it'd been staff network group. But the fact that I was being told that Asian people shouldn't be involved in Black History Month by someone who was white, who hadn't been involved in Black History Month before, wasn't involved in the equality agenda, was a real shock to me. Um, And I went to speak to the staff network about it in this particular organisation. And they weren't best pleased. And actually, that did bring me some relief. And I have to say that if Mia Morris, one of the um, you know pioneers of Black History Month in this country, could come and meet with me and be a panel guest on a panel for me, then quite frankly, I don't think it's anyone else's place um, from a community that doesn't know about Black History Month to tell me what I can or can't do. And at this organisation, I was also told that someone senior from the senior team needed to make a decision about who could be involved in Black History Month. And my response was, okay, that's interesting. Who in the senior team is black and could make that decision? To which uh, the response was a lot of blubbering and um, shady talk around why this needed to be done and that actually I did have a point. So it's difficult to combat this negative mindset. And I absolutely think that there does need to be an emphasis on black Caribbean and African communities in Black History Month, but clearly there's a lot of overlap. And if we think about history and the way in which Black, Asian and Jewish people have supported each other and why Irish people have supported each other, there is absolutely a place for thinking about it more intersectionally. And that was the other thing that I realised with Imperial is that we could do more intersectional work because the thinking and the understanding there was much more advanced than in many other organisations. So you might be listening to this and thinking this is a bit of a this sounds like a bit of a hot mess and it doesn't need to be. I think one of the key things is to educate people throughout the year to sow the seed. So build it in link black history with certain bits of strategy that could be gender pay gap, ethnicity pay gap, keynote speakers from a variety of backgrounds. So having black women black LGBT communities. So this makes it part of business as usual. So then there isn't a shock around, well, why are we doing Black History Month? And tying it into key performance indicators that you have and that you've set yourself. A newsletter to keep people informed around equality issues, but in particular race equality issues. Getting people involved in wider networks, but also using your staff networks, affinity groups, um, resource groups to inform what you're going to do. And people have networks, so use those networks, leverage those networks. And it provides a social space for people that they may not always have. So a safe space, um, providing a safe space for then people to come up with ideas of what they want to do for the month. And it's also about raising the profile of your organisation and getting speakers that you may not otherwise be able to get. Because people enjoy speaking at companies, um, big or small, and sharing their stories. So don't be afraid to ask. And again, if you use your staff networks, they can, uh, everyone is networked some way. So they might have access to people that you never thought you could get. So it's so, so um, important. 
And also celebrating Black History Month in the workplace brings talk about inclusivity into the real world and it comes off the page into people's laps and they can really start to learn and engage and feel part of the wider agenda. So in essence, for me, if you want to really create a good Black History Month programme, or even if time is short and you, you're you listening to this and you're thinking, but it's almost halfway through the month, how are we going to do something? I would say it is just about talking to people um, internally, but also externally. So community groups, getting buy-in from any equality champions that you have or key people, even if they haven't got an official title of an equality champion, people that you know will back you and support you. Tie it into the goals of the organisation. Do something small, even if it's bring a lunch and we're going to have, um, we're going to show some photos of key, a slideshow of key black history figures through time and to have a discussion about that and know which battles to fight and pick. You may not be able to do everything in one go, but I can assure you if you do something that's informed by talking to staff and communities and uh, local organisations, that'll create a buzz. You're not going to have much of a battle to fight. So I suggest that you have a look at the resources I share in the show notes and please do leave comments on um, any social media posts that I release around Black History Month around about resources that have helped you. Talk to your staff network if you haven't organised something. Just see if you can do something small. Um, have a look around your local area and sponsor Black History Month events to raise the profile of your organisation and put your money where your mouth is. Promote events that are going on locally to your workplace. So if time's too short, go on Black History Month 365, have a look at what's going on. Um, There's lots of lists of information of things going on and put something on the internet and encourage people to go along. Also, you might want to check out council web pages because they often list things for community groups in the area that you work or you live in. And if you do go to an event, take a friend with you and spread the word. So they are my top tips and my journey around Black History Month and celebrating it in the workplace. And don't forget, there's still half the month left and there's still some fantastic events going on around the UK. And also programmes, theatres, anything you can get your hands on. And don't forget to share it on your personal pages and get everyone involved because Black History is everyone's history. And I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Diverse Minds podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcasts from. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Tune into next week's episode of the podcast, where I'll bring you more insights on mental health and inclusion. Bye for now.